Welcome to the Second Students North podcast. My name is Lise. We're currently in a series called Sus Faith, where we're taking a look at some detrimental beliefs that disguise themselves as true faith. We pray that as you go through this series, that God would speak directly to you. We hope you enjoy week two. I want to tell you a story. There was once a father. This father owned a strawberry patch. And his favorite pastime was to take his son and walk him through this strawberry patch. It was their favorite pastime. And the father's favorite thing to do while walking along this patch is to kneel down, grab a strawberry, and hand it to his son. He loved getting to see his son take a bite of this precious fruit, to see him enjoy the sweetness that was this strawberry. As time went on, the man and the son grew, but so did the strawberry patch. It got to the point where it was so large that the man and his son began to share the strawberries with their neighbors. It grew more to where they began to sell it to their neighbors. The son realized that if he took the strawberry and he cut it up, that it sold more to the people around. And so that's exactly what he did. He took the strawberries and he cut them up very finely. And he sold so many strawberries. He found out even further that if he took the essence of the strawberry and sold it to people, he sold even more. And so that's what he did. He found out again that he didn't even need the strawberry to sell strawberry. He could create the essence of the strawberry in a lab and this sold like Chick-fil-A on Sunday. The biggest product that was made by this essence was strawberry slushies. The grandson of this father absolutely loved strawberry slushies. He would get one every single Wednesday night, every single Sunday morning, every single Saturday afternoon. He loved strawberry slushies. There came a day where the father decided it was time to take the grandson out into the strawberry patch where it all began, to teach him about where all of this had come from. And so he did the same thing that he did with his son. They walked into the strawberry patch. He looked down. He knelt, picked a strawberry, handed it to his grandson. The grandson takes a bite of the strawberry and spits it out. It didn't taste like the strawberry slushy that he had come to love, so he didn't like the taste. Students, this is the epidemic that the Christian faith faces. The gospel in its entirety is being chopped up, is being extracted, and is being falsely 
produced and sold to people. This is the sus faith that we are trying to seek out in this series. Last week, we talked about the chopping up of the gospel. Shelby did a beautiful job of breaking down what it looks like to build a Bible, as she said. To look into the Bible and say, I like this, I don't like that. I like this, I don't like that. I like what the Bible says about me, but I don't like what the Bible says about how I should treat people who treat me poorly. I like what the Bible says about not judging people, but I leave out the part that I'm supposed to recognize that I am a sinner. And when I recognize the love that Christ shows me even though I'm a sinner, I should then take that love and bring it to my brothers and my sisters who are held down, held prisoner by their sin. No, that's too hard. I'm gonna throw that part out. That is the danger of chopping up the gospel. What we wanna talk about tonight is another epidemic that is more sly and is dangerous for people in this room. It's called cultural Christianity. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Webster Merriam Dictionary, excuse me, Webster Merriam Dictionary, not Wikipedia, but Webster Merriam uh, West the place, the real dictionary, defines culture like this. Culture, the set of shared values, or sorry, the set of shared attributes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or organization. It is the everyday thing that we as a culture use to make our decisions. High school has its own culture, has its own values, has its own goals. J-High has a different set of values and set of goals, and so by your culture, you act differently. Being Texan, your culture teaches you that Whataburger is the best fast food burger. when in fact, it is in and out. But hear me, hear me say this. Culture is not a bad thing to have. In fact, it's unavoidable. We as Texans have our culture. We as Americans have our culture. We as a church, as Second Baptist, as Second Students have our own culture. And that is not inherently bad, not naturally a problem. But the problem with cultural Christianity is in its namesake. It is when you put culture on top of Christ. It's when you use 
the cultural values that you have to overrule what God has said is good, to overrule the purpose that God has given us the gospel for. The good news for us is this is not at all a new problem. This did not just start in the 21st century and now you and I have to learn to deal with it. This is something that Jesus himself had to address among cultural believers. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. It reads as the following. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything that they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. This is called cultural belief. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, the holiest of people, the people who studied the law, studied what the Old Testament had said. But what Jesus is saying here, in trying to keep all these things, they are losing the point. They are doing all of these things, taking them up like chores so that they can look good in front of their church friends, their church people, completely neglecting the fact that God gave us the covenant through Abraham, gave us the law through Moses, not to be a burden, but to be like an adoptive father. Hear me. God gave these men, these women, his word, his covenant, not to berate them, not to beat them down, but to be like an adoptive father. These men and these women are like someone who is adopted and see a father not as someone who loves them and cares for them, but as someone who puts food on the table and gives them jobs to do. Instead of viewing and knowing the fact that by adopting them, this heavenly father wants to bring them into his life, share with them who he is, Share with them the wisdom that he knows about the world that he created and teach them how they can live well. But instead they see him as a taskmaster that they need to appease. So they do what they are told, but they spend no time 
with their father. Their perfect heavenly father. The verses continue and it mentions that these Pharisees wear the right clothes. They sit in the right seats, but their hearts are far away from their father. Just like modern day church, when they say it is important that I go to church so that I see, that I am seen by my friends at church. It is important that I pray in front of people and they see me doing the right thing rather than me spending time in prayer so that I can talk to my heavenly Father so that I can grow a relationship with the person that loved me enough that even though I was broken and I was still a sinner and I was still hurting people, that he would not just die, but die brutally. Not just to make me right, not just to make me, but to make me part of the family. To make me his kiddo, his son, his daughter. The danger of cultural Christianity is when you put your culture, yes, above Christianity, but the even more dangerous thing is when you put church culture above your relationship with God. Why do I say that? Why do I tell you this warning? Because Jesus had to correct the Pharisees. He had to correct the cultural believers of the day. And so he issued a declaration, one that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus opens up the commandments given and shows the true heart of God in sharing these of how much he loves his kiddos. And at the end of this declaration, at the end of Jesus sharing the heart of his father, his heart as God, he says this, Matthew chapter seven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. This is one of the most frightening verses in all of scripture. Not just because of punishment, but because of us complete, there's a possibility of us completely missing the point 
us hearing rules, us hearing all of these things that we have to do, that we have to look the right way, we have to do the right thing, we have to speak the right way, but totally miss out on the fact that there is a father who has suffered and died, come back from the grave so that we could be his kiddos, so that we could know who he is, and so that he could be like the perfect father. A lot of us have good dads in this room. Some of us might not. But hear me when I say this, God is the perfect father. He is the example of what fatherhood should look like. He is not the product of what people have done. God is the perfect father and he does everything he can for his kiddos. He sacrificed himself to make them a part of the family. And now he constantly wants to speak with his kids. Tell them exactly who he is. Share with them what the world was intended to be like and what you were made for. He's a perfect father. And if we make the mistake of opting for doing the right thing, saying the right thing, looking the right way, we will totally miss out on a loving, incredible father.